0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out all the stuff that we've been riding and reviewing recently over at blisterreview.com. Okay, the last couple of weeks have featured a ton of incredible downhill racing, including Greg Minar further cementing his status as the GOAT with a fourth world championship at the age of 39, Miriam Nicole on peak form with back-to-back wins, and a whole lot more. So I sat down with Noah Bodman to talk about all the action from World Championships and the Lenzer World Cup, and we also got into it about a whole bunch of new suspension from Vox that we've been testing, as well as checking in on how Noah is faring at keeping his twins alive. This one covers a whole lot of ground, so let's get right into my conversation with Noah. Well, Noah, it's great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a little while. How are things going over there? It's good to be back.
1: It's been a long, hot,
0: smoky summer.
1: But uh, yeah, now we're getting into fall weather and I'm psyched to be riding in pleasant weather and and uh, yeah, getting some more time on uh, these various things we've been testing and uh, also watching some World Cup racing, which we kind of took a hiatus there for the for the Olympics.
0: Yeah, pretty big gap there. We'll get into that in a minute and still keeping the twins alive. Also, how's that been going?
1: Uh, yep. Twins are both still alive and, uh, only mildly
0: angry with everything. So I think that's a win. Yeah, that sounds pretty solid. About the best you can hope for, I would imagine. Well, good stuff. Very glad to hear all of that. And like you said, Downhill Racing is back after a pretty significant hiatus there. Been... Awfully exciting. And we uh, do a little bit of a recap here. So let's start with World Champs, which was rather spectacular for those of us who managed to figure out a way to watch it in the U.S. VPN really got the job done for me, and it was a good one. Yeah. Any initial impressions to start us off with? What do you got? What are your high-level takeaways?
1: I, I did manage to VPN my way into watching it, and yeah, I, I, I became Japanese for the morning. I was German. Yeah, that was one of the better world champs races that I can remember. And and also it was really good. You know, like we said, we had that kind of big hiatus through the middle of the summer while the Olympics were happening. But then also the beginning of this race season wasn't that great. You know, there's a bunch of weird weather events and a bunch of the races just felt uh, not as good as they could have been um, for reasons outside of everyone's control. But it was what it was. Uh, so it was great to get back and, and not only get back into racing, but get back into one of the best races I've seen in a long time. Um, you know, I don't know if we just cut to the chase with the goat, because uh, obviously. Probably a good place yeah, to start. I yeah. mean, that's just like the guy's almost as old as I am, and he's still winning World Cup uh, World Champs races. Uh, I think it's his fourth win. So. Um, that puts him in a uh, rare company. There's not that many other guys that have got four world champs to their name. And yeah, I mean, it was a good race down to the last second. Val is one of my favorite tracks to watch. Just absolutely brutal from top to bottom. Like there's no let up on that track. Even at the bottom, you think you're out of the woods and you go to the Sam Hill corner where Sam Hill threw it all away. And, I don't know what year that was, 2008, seven, some somewhere around there. But yeah, had had one of the greatest downhill runs of all time, only to throw it away in the last corner. Uh, Greg Menar managed to make it through that corner and come home with the win. But, you know, for such a punishing technical track too, it was also pretty tight times, uh, which just makes the racing so much more exciting to watch.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, like we've been saying, the fact that Greg Minar won yet again at 39 is mind-blowing. And I loved the note. I think this was actually during Lenzerheide, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, Rob pointed out that when Greg won his first World Cup race, Tebo Aprella was six months old. Just to put that into some perspective. So yeah, absolutely mind-blowing that he's still up at the, the pointy end of the whole thing at 39 and like you said just an unbelievably brutal awesome to watch track it's so much longer than most of the other tracks on the circuit right now and just super rough top to bottom and it was it was cool watching everybody lay it all out you know so much room
1: for error on that track just because it's so technical top to bottom so again just the the fact that you know I'm looking at the results here And the top five were within about a second and a half of each other. The top three were within half a second of each other. So the fact that Greg Menard, Benoit Coulange, and Troy Brosnan, uh, first, second, and third there, they were all within half a second of each other on that track, that that just goes to show that it was a really good race. Um, And that also kind of segues in. I think it's cool that we saw Benoit Coulange come second on that. You know, that guy has kind of been, he's not new to racing. He's, you know, he's French national champion. We knew he was fast, but this is the first year that we've really seen him consistently creeping into those top 10 results. And I think that race really solidifies him as like a consistent podium threat. Uh, So that's always nice. You know, it's, it's cool that there's just another guy who's,
0: legitimately in the mix in any given race. For sure. Yeah, I think he's 26, if I have it right. He's been around for a little while on the elite circuit. It's not like he's just shown up, but yeah, really good to see him kind of finally starting to put it together because it's been clear for a few years now that he had the pace on when he could kind of get it all together, but hadn't been putting together consistent results, and that was cool. Yet another case of close but no cigar for Troy, which is just <laughs> – how it's been going for him for a long time now, um, but still, Mister Consistent and right, right in there. If just not quite winning anything, or not, not much.
1: He is absolutely the 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 best third place rider on the World <laughs>
0: Cup circuit. Yeah, which is tough.
1: And you know, it was interesting uh, in the live feed for the Lenzerheider race uh, where Troy crashed, and you know, there was sort of the comment in there that. That's that's surprising because Troy never crashes. Uh, And I think, you know, maybe that's that's kind of it is Troy, his his consistent pace, like his ninety nine point nine percent pace that he can sustain every single race. He can do that day in and day out and not crash. And it is so close to being the fastest, the fastest pace of the day. But. He maybe just doesn't quite push it that extra little bit. He's not willing to hang it out there uh, like some guys like uh, Omri Piron or, or Thibaut DePrella. You know, those guys, I mean, not that they're riding above their abilities, but they're just that little bit extra. There's that little bit of looseness to them where they're just willing to
0: push it that little bit harder. And a lot of times it works out well for them. Sometimes it doesn't, though. I think it's exactly right that you don't get the kind of consistency that Troy has by being on the ragged edge all the time. You know that you you can't maintain that without it going wrong at least every once in a while.
1: But then you got a guy, you got a guy like Menar <laughs> that also doesn't crash a whole lot, and you know he's pretty damn consistent. But I I think his ninety nine point nine percent pace is is pretty damn fast.
0: Yeah, I mean he's just. On another planet, I don't, I don't know how he does it. It's mind blowing. Speaking of things that blew my mind from that race, also, I I still want to know how on earth Reese managed to not crash when his front tire exploded in that left-hander at the bottom. Like just stuffing it into this huge catch berm after that drop, tire goes flat really quickly, and somehow he held on and rode it out. That was one of the more amazing... And then, like just sort of underlining how well he kept it together. The commentators couldn't even tell which tire had gone flat or what was happening. And he somehow managed to do that on a more or less instantaneous front flat, which makes no sense at all.
1: Yeah, a lot of really impressive riding in that race. And I also think it's cool. You know, we see some, I guess, familiar names, but a little higher up than would usually see him. Uh, Andreas Kolb came 11th. Let's see. We had Oliver Zvar... Uh, came 17th, you know, these are all guys that, uh, you you know, they've had some good results here and there, but I think these are uh, at the better end of their results. And especially with Kolb, we've seen him kind of creeping up, uh, you know, he's on the Atherton team now, and that seems like it's been working out really well for him because he's been putting in, it seems like just better and better results with every race. So that's, that's always great to see, you know, for the same reason with Benoit. Just having more names that are legitimate podium contenders just makes these races
0: that much more exciting. Well, speaking of way more legitimate podium contenders than there have been historically, let's talk about the women. I mean, that field is so much deeper than it has been really ever. And it's been made for some amazing racing also. That's been super cool to stick with world champs for the moment. I mean, Miriam Nicole is clearly really back on form and Riding incredibly well, you know, we no surprise that she's capable of that. She's been a consistent threat for quite a while now, but, you know, had some struggling with injuries last year and seems to really just be back on top of her game and going super fast. I was also incredibly impressed with Marine Cabrera's run, especially given that she's still battling through that monster hematoma on her leg and fighting through what has to hurt and uh, on just such a long, brutal track and finishing second was super cool. Moving down the, the list there, Camille Belange coming in third again, too. I, I'll i be honest, I sort of thought her world champs win last year was maybe a little bit of a fluke, and she has very conclusively proven over the the year since that that wasn't the case at all. She's been just going faster than she ever has before. I mean, she's relatively new to racing DH, just what, her third or fourth season doing it at all?
1: Yeah, and, and I was right with you thinking that last year – uh, her world champion was uh, kind of a fluke, a great ride, no question there. But the weather was such a factor that, you know, you, it's easy to write it off and say, well, you know, the other the other top contenders just, you know, had an unlucky run. Uh, and then at the beginning of this year, we saw a repeat of that on the same course. And again, weather affected. And again, she had a great ride. It's still like, wow, you know, well, maybe maybe there's something there, but uh, it might still be a fluke. And yeah, nope, I'm I'm totally wrong. Not a fluke. <laughs> she's,
0: uh, she's really fast. Yep. No, she's been right up there riding really well. Monica Rasnick <laughs> finished fourth has also just been consistently on it this season riding great. And then Tani Seagave coming in fifth. She, you know, someone who's been like Miriam sort of been up at the, at the pointy end for a bit longer and, just still going really fast. Well, and and speaking of consistency, I mean we have a
1: real strong record of Valley Hole qualifying first and then crashing on the last turn in the race. Which once she figures out how to get some consistency and put together a full race run, she's going to be tough to beat. Like she needs to hang out with Troy Brosnan a little bit because you know I think she's just young. I think she's like nineteen. Um, clearly the pace is there, but man, she's had some frustrating race runs where she had it in the bag and then screwed something up, you know, somewhere. Um, well, we'll get to the Lenzherheide result here in a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I I was, uh, bummed for again at world champs that she, uh, she didn't get a
0: clean run in. Yeah, that's been tough. And I mean, it's gotta be incredibly hard being that young coming up into your first real season as an elite you know she was officially up last season but between the injuries and the weird shortened season didn't really get to see much of her and just such incredibly high expectations of her and clearly all the potential in the world and it it seems like that's just been get into her mentally a little bit which is more than understandable it's it's got to be a very tough position to be in to yeah have such high expectations and then start having a couple of these races where things don't go right and i can only imagine that gets in your head and just the pressure continues to mount and uh yeah it was tough to see her go down late in the race yet again after having what was up until that point a really really good run speaking of People who were impressive apart from a, a crash setting them back, um, Nita Hoffman showing up and being – like she crashed early but then was, had had splits after that that were pretty much on pace to be finishing really well. Just five weeks after breaking her collarbone is wild.
1: Yeah, like how did she get a doctor to clear her to
0: go ride the Soul track five weeks after a collarbone? Especially not having had surgery to repair it either. It's just – I don't understand that one either. That's
1: really impressive. And once she's back on pace, then she'll be another one that's right up in the
0: that, you know, podium contention every race. Yeah. So, yeah, the women's racing just in general has been amazing. It's the fields, like we were saying, so much deeper than it has been that in any time that I can remember. And the racing has been awesome. It's been super, super cool to watch.
1: And, and the other thing that I think we're, is worth pointing out from World Champs is in the juniors, we've got Jackson Goldstone, who – you know, we're. I I feel like not that long ago, watching him like Huck skate park features on his Strider bike. Uh, you know, he's been he's been on in the sort of social media Instagram sphere of the mountain bike world for quite a while now. Uh, I think he's seventeen, so potentially this is his last year in juniors. But he was eight seconds off of Manara's time. So that puts him like with a top 20 finish in the elites. So whenever he moves up, that's going to be real interesting because uh,
0: that kid's going really fast. Yeah. And he's been dominating the world cup circuit for the juniors too this year. And like you said, uh, seeing him at the top end of those races made me feel real old because I could have sworn that that, Strider bike video you referenced was like four or five years ago, which it obviously wasn't. But uh, or
1: I, I, I don't know, maybe it took him a while to transition to pedal bikes.
0: <laughs> but that's been cool. And it'll be, like you said, real exciting to see what he can do once he moves up to elites and starts mixing it up with the top racers.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, for a while there, it wasn't really clear whether Jackson was going to go more down like the free ride end of things because he's had some segments and some you know, some bike movies with him, you know, sending cliffs and out riding with, I think he had some segment with like Cam McCall, I want to say. And, you know, he was competing in whip-off worlds, crank works and doing some stuff like that. So it wasn't real clear to me that he was going to be a racer, but apparently he's just fine at the racing thing too. So, uh, that's cool to see.
0: Yep. He's pretty good at bikes. It turns out. Turns out. Yeah. Well, yeah, so let's maybe move on to Wednesday, then pretty awesome having back to back weekends there and another really good race. I was going in a little bit worried about what the letdown was going to feel like. You know, we had this amazing race on one of the best tracks on the circuit. And it's certainly not a, a boring track, but it. It's not Val de and I was curious how it was going to go, and was, was treated to another absolutely spectacular race on both the men's and women's side again. It was great. Yeah, great race. Great
1: race. Uh, not a letdown at all. I, I agree with you that it's not my uh, my favorite track to watch, but it's still a good track. And actually, the last time they raced Lenzerheide, I was there. Uh, we were in Europe at the time, so we got to go watch that race, and uh, that was back during Amory Piran's reign of dominance, uh, in 2018. So watched him win, watched Miriam Nicole win. Uh, and it's, you know, it's always interesting to see these tracks and kind of be familiar with these tracks from watching them, uh, on TV. And then you go and watch it in person and, and some parts that look really interesting on TV are kind of, not actually that interesting in person. And then there's all these little things that you uh, get to see in person that aren't really showed on the, with the camera angles they have that are actually super tricky. Um, so that's, that was fun to see. And so it's fun to go back and watch this this
0: time after having been at the track. Oh, uh, that does sound cool. So on the men's side, really the kind of high line, big takeaway, I guess, was just how thorough the French domination was taking, was it all the top four spots and a couple more in the top 10. And it was, again, like we said, a super exciting race. I mean, Loris Vergier won it, and he was the last racer down the track and got to watch him sort of trading off the lead with Loic Bruni, who ended up finishing second. And I kind of thought Loic had it. Uh, Loris was second and a half or something off the pace, I think at the second split, and then just incrementally clawing back time all the way down the track. But I was kind of watching it live, convinced that he wasn't quite going to catch up with Loic and then pulled it out at at the finish line after still being back at the last split. So that was super exciting and fun. Thibaut DiPrela finished third, had a great race. And Omri finished fourth. And this was, I think, his just second week back on a bike after missing eight or so with a big injury. So that was remarkable. I mean, he came back for world champs, but then had some – bike issues and didn't get to see too much of him there. Incredible that he's back and going as fast as he is already after missing a ton of time and not having very much time back to get back in shape and everything. So he continues to be spectacular. And then uh Lori Greenland rounded out the top five with another really good run from him too. So that was a fun one.
1: Yeah. Really entertaining to watch. You know, those top four were all uh within just over a half a second of each other. So really tight racing. You know, when it comes down to hundredths or even thousandths of a second, then, you know, it's the slightest little mistake is is winning or losing that race. So it's just pretty entertaining watching all of these guys that are so pinpoint and so precise, just on the edge, but sticking every single little corner in line. You know, again, I think we saw... Some of those same names we were talking about in world champs. We had Andreas Kolb put in a good result. Reese Wilson, uh, I mean, we know he's fast, but he had a, a pretty good result there in eighth. Dakota Norton, who had a bad crash in world champs, he, uh, got seventh. So it's cool that, you know, Dakota's always kind of had that, you know, he's fast. He shows glimpses of greatness, but he, he doesn't quite seem to put it together as often as as we would hope, uh, but it's cool to see that he's going fast, and it also, the series comes back over to the state side for Snowshoe for the next race, and that's more or less Dakota Norton's home turf, so it'll be
0: cool to see what he can do there. Yeah, I was going to bring him up, too. Really good race from him, and just cool having an American kind of mixing it up again. hasn't been, Lucas Shaw has been riding pretty well, too, but- since Aaron Gwynn's pace kind of fell off and he hasn't been too competitive the last couple of years. It hasn't been uh, much of an American presence for the most part.
1: Yeah, we've had some, uh, we've we've seen some good things from Charlie Harrison and I I think he has potential to be right up there, but he's, you know, he's working back from an injury and and hasn't quite got back up to speed yet this year. So um, I'll be interested to see if next year if Charlie Harrison can get back up into that top 10 mix.
0: Yeah. Good point to you. Charlie's also sort of along with Luca and Dakota, kind of one of those guys who seems to have the pace on his day, but just has not been able to put it together with a whole lot of consistency. So, and there are a couple
1: younger guys, you know, uh, Austin Dooley and Dante Silva, they're putting in perfectly respectable races and Lundzer They were both down in the thirties. Um, so not, Bad results by any means, but I think both of those guys are pretty young uh, and they're relatively new to the World Cup scene. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe in
0: the next two, three years, we'll see them start working their way up the ladder. Yeah, I think so. Definitely some potential coming up through the ranks right now. So that's been cool. And to move on to the women's side, we had another great race there too. Another win by Miriam Nicole following up her World Champs win and still just looking really on it. I honestly thought after seeing a few people follow her up that Nina Hoffman might end up winning it. She went pretty early, had a super good time that no one was touching for quite a while, including some of the big names like Marine Cabru, who looked like she had a pretty solid run, but just wasn't as fast as Nina. And then all of a sudden, last three riders came down and all one by one kept knocking it down and setting new fast times of the day which made for a really exciting finish including folly like we were referencing earlier finally putting together the really good clean race run that we've been hoping for she's either been pushing too hard and crashing or just taking it really conservative and not going very fast so far this year and so this was where she kind of threw the monkey off her back and uh put together a good one which was sweet
1: yeah it kind of felt like the It felt like this was the first race for Valley Hole where she kind of found her pace, and it was fast but sustainable. Hopefully, she can
0: find that pace at future races, too. I'm sure she will. She's just clearly so good. She's got dinner. Just needs to to figure some stuff out, but she's young. She'll do it, and it's going to be really cool watching her in the years to come. Tani had another really good race, ended up finishing second, but she's – Another one of the women who's looking back on form after being hurt a bunch last year and kind of having an up and down season. And uh, it's just been really good that the f- top end of the field seemingly mostly pretty healthy right now. You know, some exceptions like Marine that we noted earlier, but by and large, most of the crews in there and really going fast and it's been some really, really good racing.
1: And down in the juniors, Jackson Goldstone won again.
0: <laughs> He's been real dominant.
1: And and I think his time was it would have put him in like fourteenth or fifteenth or something like that in in elites. So the kid's
0: gonna do all right. Well, we got a week off and then off to the double header and snowshoe. So lots more DH racing to come. It's been good last couple of races and let's hope it continues. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to pivot in a different direction now, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff you've been testing recently. What do you got for us?
1: Yeah. Well, from Fox, I've been putting a fair amount of time on the 34. I did a first look at that earlier this summer where I just had it on my hardtail, but uh, my transition spur finally showed up. So I've got the 34 set at 130 millimeters on that bike and been doing a whole bunch of riding on that, and uh, I'm pretty psyched on that fork. Uh, it kind of hits this nice middle ground. Uh, it's certainly lighter and not as burly a fork as some of the bigger trail forks. You know, it's it's clearly less fork than a 36. At the risk of stating an obvious, it's probably a little less fork than a Pike. Um, it is also lighter than a Pike. Uh, I think it is more fork than the, uh, 35 millimeter SIDS. Um, and at the risk of stating the obvious, it is more fork than a 32 or a 34 step cast. And so part of it is, I think the fork is a great fork. The damper works really well. There's been a bunch of situations where that, you know, that spur kind of lulls you into a false sense of security because it's got pretty slack geometry, Uh, and so you can get going pretty fast and then all of a sudden a, a rock garden appears out of nowhere and it's like, oh shit, you know, actually I don't have a ton of travel. Uh, but the 34 has handled some really bad line choices with, uh, relative grace. Uh, so it, it has left me impressed. Um, but it also, I'm excited about it because there's this whole spectrum of forks that, overlap each other, but they are distinct distinct and different enough. So really, you can dial in exactly what fork to put on your bike, depending on what exactly you're looking to get out of it. And for what I was looking to get out of the spur, the 34 hits that mark spot on. So aside from the 34, I've also been putting time on the new DHX coil shock on my Enduro. So the DHX is the same damper as the Float X, Fox's new air shock. The DHX, it's a little unclear to me what the point of it is. Uh, I don't don't mean that to be harsh at all, but Fox introduced it not to replace the DHX2, uh, which has been around for a while. It's a well-received shock. That's what all the Uh, Fox sponsored downhill guys are on. Uh, The DHX is a little bit cheaper. It's about a hundred bucks cheaper. Uh, It has less adjustments. Uh, So it has just a rebound and compression adjustment, but no separate high and low speed for either of those circuits. And so uh, it's simpler. Uh, It's tool-free adjustments for both of those uh, damping adjustments. Um, And so I'm not exactly sure what Fox is trying to accomplish with this uh it does still have a climb switch uh a nice climb switch actually it's you know a big easy to hit lever so it works well uh in the situation that I'm using it on the enduro where you know I do lock it out sometimes for like a dirt road climb yeah Fox isn't clear why they introduced this over a DHX2 uh it's a different type of shock it's a single tube damper versus a twin tube damper um So, structurally, it's different inside, but ultimately, it's a coil shock meant to be really good on the descent. So, it seems like the intentions are pretty similar between the DHX and the DHX2. You know, my take so far is that it has ridiculously good small bump sensitivity. It's a really plush shock, which isn't initially what I expected from a single tube damper. Uh, but that's what it does really well. Uh, I would say the second half of the travel, it feels like it's maybe lacking a bit of support and big hit. Uh, it, it doesn't handle those big hits all that well. Uh, I bottom that shock out pretty hard, pretty often. And it's on an, on the Enduro, like I said, which is a fairly progressive leverage rate and the spring I have on it I have a 475 pound spring on it which puts my sag just shy of 30 percent so uh, it doesn't seem like I should be bottoming it out that hard that often but but I am uh, so I'm gonna try a progressive coil on it here in the next couple of days see if that gets me anywhere and so I'll experiment with that and report back once I get the review put together
0: Yeah, I've been spending some time on the Float X, which, like you said, is essentially the airsprung version of that new DHX. And um, I don't have a ton of time on it yet, but initial impressions are kind of similar to what you're describing, where the small bump sensitivity is really good and a very marked improvement over the DPX2, which the Float X kind of is replacing on the airsprung side of their lineup. But um, I am also... Similarly, finding it to be a bit less supportive and maybe lacking a little bit of high speed compression damping, and just a little easy to blow through the travel compared to what I like. And uh, definitely still working on setup a bit. I also have it on a Gorilla Gravity Trail Pistol, so it's on a pretty short travel bike, one twenty rear, and it works. I'm still figuring out the setup, but haven't got it feeling totally dialed yet. And like you said too, I am a little bit curious the Float X kind of make sense in their lineup, right? It's the smaller, lighter, more trail bike oriented air shock, which checks out. The DHX does seem weirder because, like you said, it's seemingly pretty much in competition with the DHX2, but also isn't that much cheaper than it. And they're both existing side by side for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me. I do kind of wonder if it's a case where they – Developed this damper and platform for the Float X. and we're like, huh? Well, we could make a coil version of this pretty easily, and just we're like, yeah, sure, why not? It's we got the damper figured out. Let's do it. I don't know, but from a lineup perspective, it does seem a little strange.
1: Yeah, it's interesting with the Floatex. Uh, I, I have a couple friends. I, I have not ridden that shock yet, but I have a couple friends that are really excited about it on their bikes. But they're smaller, lighter riders, and so I think they. Maybe struggled a bit to get small bump sensitivity out of a DPX2, uh, but they're having more success with the Float X and maybe aren't having quite as much issue with blowing through the travel just because they are smaller, lighter riders. This is uh, all speculation, but it'll be it'll be interesting once you get a little more time on that shock to see if you're able to, uh, to tune around the uh, supportiveness issues.
0: Yeah, I think I need to do more experimenting with volume spacer configurations on that. and I think there's a decent chance I can I can get into a better place with some more of that. I just haven't got it dialed yet. But I do think what you're saying makes sense also that uh, the DPX2 is the other shock that I have ridden on the trail testal thus far. And the float X does clearly have much, much better small bump sensitivity than the DPX2. So in that regard, it is a substantial improvement. Um, there's just kind of been a bit of a trade-off in in the various traits that it caters towards that i found in that and working on figuring out how to balance that but uh yeah certainly think that people who have been finding the small bump sensitivity of the dpx2 lacking will very likely be much happier with the float X in that regard at least well Noah, great having you on as always and uh thanks for both the rundown on all the racing that's been happening and the fox suspension you've been checking out And just uh, keep on keeping on. Good luck with the twins and talk to you again real soon.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: Good catching up. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you were enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a five star rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Noah for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody.